everyone, it's Sky with Empowered Ed. We're so excited to share our first full episode of our second season on advocacy as educator wellness. As an organization, Empowered Ed has always made important connections between the educator wellness initiatives needed at our partner schools and the policy advocacy we're doing in our greater DC community. After all, is it fair to ask teachers to better manage stress when we can instead work to change the system to produce less stress while achieving greater outcomes for students? One of the main ways we advocate at Empowered Ed is through our Educator Fellows Program. The program organizes and trains a representative group of DC educators to push decision makers and lawmakers for the policy changes that most support DC educators, like flexible scheduling, fair pay for paraprofessionals, school safety measures, pipelines for educators of color, and much more. In this episode, we're so lucky to have two of those teacher fellows, past and present, join us to discuss how changing policy can be the most effective way to support school staff wellness. Ben Williams is a former Empower Ed Fellow and current member of the State Board of Education from Ward 1. He's a high school social studies teacher and a passionate advocate for DC public schools students. Allison Rice is a longtime teacher and first year fellow who has been working to support Empower Ed school-based work at our partner school, Ida B. Wells Middle School, where she teaches social studies as well and leads the educator wellness team. We were also supposed to have Catrice Fuller on our panel today who teaches at the incredibly innovative Monument Academy PCS. She had an emergency, so she couldn't make it, and we really look forward to having her on a future episode. During our conversation, we discuss how advocacy can help us achieve educator wellness outcomes that can't be done just at a school level. Why having a school leader who innovates policy can breed important professional trust with staff. How to keep moving when you reach roadblocks in your advocacy, and much more. Advocacy is a topic close to my heart, and I hope this episode inspires you to use your voice and start changing the system. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and appreciate your attention. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. We have a great episode today on the connection between advocacy and wellness. And I, we have some great guests here today. We have Ben Williams, who is a teacher and also on the State Board of Education, Allison Rice, a wonderful teacher and Empowered Fellow, and then we have Scott Goldstein, who is, I will pass it to him to introduce himself. Hey, everyone. Scott Goldstein, and again, founder and executive director of Empowered, but also a 10-year educator in D.C. Uh, before starting this work and excited to have this conversation today about the connection between the work we do at Empower Ed between, with advocacy and also with educator wellness and supporting our educators directly in their schools with these amazing guests. So let's start with some introductions. We want to hear more from you all. Ben, can we start with you to talk a little bit about who you are and how you got interested in both education and being an advocate? Sure. Thanks, Gracie. Hi, everyone. As Gracie Nsat said, I'm Ben Williams. This is my 13th year, hard to believe, uh, as a classroom educator. Uh, I've taught... Eight, for the last eight years, I've taught U.S. government and D.C. history in the District of Columbia, and also for the last two years, uh, an advanced placement class, which I'm really enjoying. And I also was a middle school social studies teacher um, beforehand. And in 2022, I decided to run to represent uh, Ward 1 in the District of Columbia on the State Board of Education because a lot of the issues that I was seeing at my previous school and then at my Current school were things that I wanted to continue working on at the policy level, and so I kind of, kind of try to bridge the everyday classroom experience with the the policy level to help improve things in schools for teachers, students, and families. Awesome, Allison. Tell us more about yourself. 
Okay. Hi, um, I'm Allison Rice and I teach eighth grade uh, U.S. history at Ida B. Wells Middle School. I have been in education over 20 years. Um, I've worked in Baltimore City um, for 11 years of my over 20. I taught in a small school outside of Atlanta, Georgia, a middle school in upstate New York. And then I came to DCPS about, I think this is my seventh year at DCPS. So I've taught, I taught a lot of my previous years in elementary school, but then moved to middle school and I love it. So I'm very passionate about education and also making sure that educators feel valued and they feel good about what they're doing. Awesome. Like we need people who are excited about middle school because that's not every <laughs> educator, Allison. So <laughs> we appreciate you for that. I feel like I found my spot. <laughs> yeah. It's a special person. <laughs> Scott, our listeners know who you are, but talk more about how you got started in advocacy and why you have such a strong passion for being an advocate. Yeah, well, really from being a teacher. I mean, in the context of education advocacy, it was really from the things I was experiencing in the classroom. And I'll talk about that. But I've always kind of been an advocate and activist in lots of different ways. And all of it really, whether uh, it has been about education or political activism or other things in my life, has all been about youth voice um, and youth agency, really. And that's really my driving passion. And I see educator voice in the work we do now really as a, another pathway to providing more agency too, to our students and uplifting the things they're experiencing through some of the people, some of the adults that are closest to them and their experiences every day. So since I was young, I have been really passionate about advocating for young people to have more of a say in the things that go on in their life than, than they tend to have. And the main vehicle for that is school and the kinds of choices that they get, the kind of the way that their opinions are respected, whether they're treated in the same way that adult voices are treated. And so as I became a teacher later, I'm involved in an organization called Mikva Challenge, which I know Ben has also been involved in and, and many, of the, many of the teachers that are um, involved in our work. And that is really an organization that uplifts student voice. And there's so many organizations that do that work um, really well here in D.C. And I was proud to be part of that work and focused on student voice. And then I just saw in several schools that I was in how we just had an extreme level of teacher turnover that was both heartbreaking and devastating to the students. Because I grew up in a suburban school district where you would just kind of expect that like the teachers who were there in kindergarten were probably there when you graduated 12th grade and they might come to your graduation and support you. And that's just a thing that people can't expect growing up in schools here. And uh, there's such an inequity in that because these are some of our students who deserve to have adult, stable mentor relationships the most and need that stability. So when I saw so many teachers leaving, one of the things I decided to do is the State Board of Education, actually, and testify about it something like six years ago. And then I was kind of startled at just like, why are there so few teachers here? And why are there so few teachers of color here? And it's just not representative of the voices of educators. And so that's how I got involved in that connection between what I was seeing and experiencing in school. And just like, maybe actually part of the way we solve this retention thing is by elevating a more diverse group of teacher voices. So that's kind of how I got into this space. Yeah. And, and Scott, your story resonates like really deeply with me on a, a lot of levels. But I remember when we first met five years ago, just kind of coming to a happy hour as Empowered was getting off the ground. And I had 
I've been lucky to have really great colleagues in my social studies department at numerous places. And just to just hear, I'd gone through kind of like, it's a cycle. Like every couple of years, I feel like a couple really good teachers that are like veteran teachers are like deciding to leave or mid year teacher, uh, mid career teachers. And that's really one of the things that the issue of, of students losing that continuity of, of teachers that they can depend on from year to year that helped me get involved in, in empowered as an organization and something that I think like we need to address not just as a city, right, but as a country and, and around around the globe. And it's hard, but uh, it's, it's definitely where we're at right now in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I want to point out one connection. And Allison is at Ida B. Wells, which is one of the partner schools we've worked at for the last three years, really. And so I know you're going to be able to share a lot about what that's been like to do the wellness work at your school and also now be involved more in the advocacy. But this whole connection between what we see in educator wellness work and the advocacy work is this seems like a micro macro thing, like what's going on micro level at the school, what's going on macro level in the district. But it's it's so much more than that because it's it's a synergy between these things. We learn both in both directions, right? In the school to the advocacy level, but also from the policy level to what we can apply at the school level. And so there's there's so much learning that's synergetic between those two things. So maybe I'll start with you, Allison, on this one, which is just like how do you see that connection between the school-based educator wellness work and the advocacy work? Well, there's definitely a lot of connections. I think, you know, I feel very fortunate to work in an environment where our administrators really do care about teacher wellness and they, they want, well, they know the benefit of having well teachers because then really ultimately it's the kids who are going to be more successful, which is great. Plus you're retaining teachers if, if you're more sympathetic to, you know, wellness needs or empathetic as well. But I think as far as like, working in a school and also working in the realm of advocacy, there are a lot of people who maybe feel like they don't have a voice or they can't have a voice. So I think it is important that that we are working or that we're doing this work so that we can like help bring those voices and in talking to people at our schools. I was just in a conversation last night with somebody who has been substituting in the district and she brought up a couple of things that we're going to be working on as part of, as a fellow with this, with Empower Ed. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about that we can kind of make those connections. Yeah. I think that as an Empower Ed fellow, and then also as a state board of education representative, like I have the privilege of being able to like talk to teachers regularly, like in different schools and noticing like some of the patterns. And I think that, you know, on the micro, like teaching is a very laborious job. Like there's so many things that we have to do every day. And I think talking to veteran teachers, like kind of generationally, I, it seems that like they didn't feel like the work they kind of followed them home as much. Like they may take some work home, but it wasn't that like there was so much they were, they were continually doing. And so I just think like the balance still coming back from COVID is something that as an individual teacher and in talking with teachers around, you know, the city is something that like, I want to try and find, like, how do we make sure that teachers have time to, to plan, to grade, to co-teach, to do the things that help them really make learning fun 
for for kids. And that's where I kind of want to make sure that, you know, schools are many things. And and if we're going to make them joyful places, then I think we have to make sure that teachers are able to show up every day excited about doing what they're doing. And so I think there's a lot of work that we still have to do. And that's why I think the advocacy work is informed by my everyday experience as a teacher and by talking with other teachers regularly. Yeah, I love that. And just to go back to our stories that we were telling for a minute about like how we got into this and what we see as the connections, like we are all talking about students and how passionate we were about how students felt and how students had power and how students are well and all of those things. And and just this the connection as we talk about it is pretty seamless to how we feel about the importance of educator and staff wellness, but it's not seamless for everybody, right? Um, and like, we'll talk about the obstacles later. And that's one of them is just the mindset that there's some kind of conflict, right? Between promoting student wellness and the wellness of the staff and the educators. And so in some ways, I think the advocacy, you know, is part of helping us get there and break that false choice, right? Uh, about the, the connection between the two so that people can see the real world win-win that exists. When we work with leaders, we meet leaders who are incredibly open-minded and they care about educator wellness. And then I feel like inevitably we reach a point where we're pushing for more change and they say, like, my hands are tied. Like, these are district mandates. These are things that can't be changed. And so I want to know how you see how advocacy, advocacy can help create outcomes that just can't be done at the school level. And specifically, like, what have you seen? And I know Empower Ed has done a lot of work on this. Maybe I'll pass it to you, Scott, if you can give us some specific examples of how advocacy can open things up that can't be done at the school level. Well, there's so many and there's just so many things. I will say that it's not only from teachers because there's probably a point at, at, at which like the teachers are like, hey, we can't say this. We might have fear of advocating for this internally. But you know what? I get just as much from people who are school principals and people who work for the district education agencies themselves who are saying, we really love what you're doing with advocacy because there's some uh, there's some breakthroughs we can't make even in the system. And so it, it takes people being willing to speak out on a, an advocacy level to achieve the kind of policy change that does open doors. And one of the things I think we do successfully uh, at Empower Ed, which has been, you know, in conversations around school transparency and conversations about educator wellness and conversations about flexible scheduling, which we have done a lot of advocacy on, in conversations about well rounded education and school meetings, that we really just changed the conversation. Uh, I would say outdoor learning is another one where we really did this successfully, that when the conversation starts, people might see an idea as more extreme. Um, and when they hear from actual people on the ground with their accounts of why it matters to them, that shifts, uh, I'm going to use the concept I know Ben and I like a lot, it shifts the Overton window, right? Which is like it it shifts the range of acceptable ideas and what is considered mainstream, right? So when people hear teachers testify about something, hear students testify about something, hear principals and they say, actually, this is not this is not a crazy idea. This is exactly what we need. This is kind of critical to us being able to achieve the goals you've asked us to achieve. So we we want to have more well-rounded education for students, but we don't have the time in the day. We want our teachers to be well, but we don't see the way we can do that with our current mandates. And we say, well, there's this thing called flexible scheduling, and actually it could open up possibilities for both of those, those things to happen at the same time. 
at the beginning, it's like, what is that? This is a lot of change. The status quo is very comfortable. And with more and more conversation about it, people can start to see that idea and it becomes more mainstream. And that's what then allows someone like a principal to mention it <laughs> to their supervisor is something that they want to do, right? Or people in the school to mention it to their principal because it's not seen as radical anymore. And so that's a way that advocacy can really change what teachers and principals can do at the school level by really just expanding the realm of the possible. Ben, what have you been able to see? What kind of changes? I think, yeah, to build off kind of what what Scott was saying uh, and to your question, Gracie, I think that, you know, oftentimes policymakers, you know, might think that an idea is good, but then when it comes time to actually implement it, it'll mean doing things differently. And, And that is... Part And the challenge there is that they're so kind of like removed or disconnected from the impact that it'll have. They might value, for instance, having more teachers of color and recruiting a pipeline for teachers of color. But when it comes time to fund grant programs and build connections and partnerships to make sure that we have more black and brown teachers in the district's classrooms, like... That's a that's a really courageous stand to be able to put that value and belief into policy. And so I think that's one of the things is through joining with other like-minded teachers and organizations like Empower Ed that we've been able to see like, hey, I know this teacher who had this impact on this kid. And, you know, if they were just supported in this way, they would still be here. And I want more teachers in the classroom who can connect to kids' cultural backgrounds. So I think advocacy has the power to be able to open up those systemic changes that can get really make more dense and progress where, you know, in a, in my classroom, like I can just really kind of focus what I can control within my four walls. And, uh, but by using what like I know is important in my classroom and in the school building, I think we're able to kind of like collectively with other teachers, see broader change through the advocacy, through, ad, through advocacy. Allison, I know that you get to work with leadership at Ida B. Wells that is pushing a little bit more and <laughs> creating systemic change. So I want to know, um, yeah, what is exciting to you when you watch that happen? And also, like, what it, like, what does that mean for you as a teacher to have leadership that is willing to advocate for bigger change in the system? The sounds of being in a school. I love it. That, no, that that's good podcast music there, Allison. <laughs> Sorry about that. So yes, I I feel very, very lucky to work with, again, the administration that I work with, Principal Lyles, who is, he is a second year principal in DCPS. He has been an AP prior to that. He's very willing to take suggestions. He's very willing to, he opens up to the staff and in, in, on more than like probably let's say two to three times a year asks his staff to give suggestions on every part of of what we do here from operations to how the curriculum is working to like coaching uh, all everything wanting to make sure that his staff is is well we have a group excuse me we we work with the wise program which is through Georgetown Health so MedStar Georgetown so we have a therapist on staff at least one day a week. And I believe we have another therapist who's, I believe she's a like a 
therapist in training. So she's also going to be able to see people. So during your planning period, you can have therapy during the day. It's it's just, it's amazing. And I think it's done wonders for retention and, and also for just overall culture of the school. I can give like a couple of examples. I know that our school really values leadership other than people who are paid to be leaders. So they want that teacher leadership. So people sign up for Thinking Thursdays, um, where they can showcase a skill or a strategy, something they want the group, the larger group to to know about. And it's optional. So on a Thursday morning, you can see somebody, how they use live school in their classroom, or we've had like meditation, or we've had like co-teaching strategies, or how to better prepare for like lessons for um, your L population. So, but again, it's, it's people who either are kind of nominated or they sign up and say, Hey, I've got this really great idea. So having those, those leadership opportunities also principal Lyles gave everybody, and this is the second year in a row that he's giving everybody um, a wellness pass. So each person and he, you know, he had to get it cleared, but each person gets a green pass at the beginning of the year that they get to use for one day of on like of sick leave that you don't have to take a day. Like you can just say, I just need this day and that's it. That's all you have to do. I'm going to use my green pass and, and you're free to do what you need to do for that day. Um, which again is very popular among our staff. And also, um, again, just wanting to know what people need and what they want. Um, and, and really, um, yeah, just wanting to know what people need and, and being responsive and also being transparent in like, this is something that we can control in house. And this is something that we can't control because we obviously we can't control everything. Um, but being able to make those small changes that could be a big deal for somebody, um, on a daily basis versus like a small, an easy thing to manage from administration administrator's point of view, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you've just named some very specific things that your school is doing to kind of bring educator wellness to life and make it real, make people feel the impact of it daily. Yeah. So on that question, Ben, I'm curious, like what is your bigger vision for educator wellness um, and how do you think advocacy can help achieve that? But more like, what what is this vision? We've been talking about this thing called educator wellness here. What does it mean to you for educators to be well? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a big question. And I, I think there's definitely for me, like a lot of things that are brought up. I feel like, it, you know, I don't yet have kids, but a lot of my colleagues do. And so when I think about educator wellness, I think about a way in which they feel that like their, their job, their job and like their family, life are not so competing with each other, you know, that they're able to have able to be them, their best selves at work and still be like their best selves going home and like understanding that those, that there are boundaries in, in work-life balance that can support them being parents and support them doing good work in schools. Um, I think that like educator wellness is also about building like cultural trust in schools, you know, like there, I've been in workplaces where, when, when you have a leader like Allison said, like, you know, about Principal Lyros, who really, you know, is clear and transparent about valuing mental health and valuing educator wellness, you know, that I think sends a clear message to staff in which, you know, they can then trust their principal, trust each other and go to the, get who, go to support with who they, who they need. I think the big thing to me, and this is maybe a little personal to be, 
you know, in terms of what brings me joy is I, I'm very passionate about like teaching social studies. Like I love helping kids become active in their communities and analyze root causes of power and figure out how they can do something about it and speak up at city council meetings or state board meetings. And to do that, I need time. I need my planning time respected. I need my time to make sure that I'm able to work with my co-teacher for my language learning population to make sure that all kids access our curriculum. And I think schools are really asked to do so much each and every day and each and every year. And we have to be better about what things land on teachers' plates so that instead of principals or deans of culture or family engagement operators or like whoever may be putting something extra on the teacher's agenda, that they're able to kind of shield us from that and be our advocates and be our allies and allow us to instruct and engage and be with and support kids, which is not just intellectually and uh, physically demanding, but also emotionally. And so when when I think about that, I think about giving teachers more bandwidth to be able to continue to pour into themselves and to pour into students daily. And to do that, like it's, it's respecting, valuing our time and trusting us to be able to use it well, to be able to help strengthen and empower the next generation of learners. I love that. Cause like, I know Allison's a social studies teacher too. Right. And just like, but I think teachers, regardless of subject, we're just like, we just want to teach. We just want time to prepare our classes and be really good at teaching. And so much of it is just like, can you give me the time and space to do that and the mental health and sanity to do that job really well that I love to do? Allison? Yeah. One of the things that actually was brought up last year after park testing is at the end of each park testing week, we had the kids... If, if the kids were able to finish their test and they didn't have to do a makeup, then they, the support staff and administrators and coaches, they all took groups of kids. So every, every kid had an option of like where they wanted to go, like whether or not they wanted to go see a movie in the auditorium over at Coolidge, or they wanted to go outside and spend two hours like out on the field kind of as their incentive, but it was also an incentive for teachers as well. So we were given the choice. Like, I know like for me, I have two young kids. I was like, you know what? I'm going to sleep in. So like we were given the choice. Okay. You can either come in two hours late that day, or you can, or you can, if you want to test kids, you can test kids. Or if you want to do, you want to come in and just be in your room and plan. And I know that that is something that's going to be continued throughout this year. I'm not sure if it's going to be monthly yet, but there will be incentives for the kids. And then teachers will be given extra planning time during that time where the kids are occupied with an incentive for what they would like to do based off of behavior or other metrics. But um, we will have extra planning time. So I think that that's also going to um, go a long way. And, and again, like thinking about how to like it's kind of like a mini flexible scheduling. So it's kind of working our way to, okay, how can we make flexible scheduling work? We love that. And actually we've heard about that and we've already been telling our other partner schools when they start to say like, no, flexible scheduling, we could never make this work. We're like, well, let's, let's start to like unpack this. And how do you start smaller? And we're, we're very passionate about the small change just because I think each teachers respond so well to the small change because they feel the gesture and they feel like that was two hours back and that was meaningful. Mm-hmm. So I think like not letting an all or nothing approach, like get in the way of like actually starting to see what you can do and experiment and the work can be so creative, actually, when you get into that mindset of like, how do we give someone two hours back this week? And there are ways. Mm-hmm. 
So speaking of creativity, I want to talk about roadblocks because anyone who's been in advocacy knows that you work really hard for something. It doesn't work out the way you think it's going to go. So how have you learned how to work with roadblocks and the advocacy that you care about? And let's, let's go to you, Scott, because I know there have been a few with EmpowerEd. Oh, just a few. Yeah. <laughs> there are always roadblocks and they're, you know, they're on so many levels. So you got to kind of take them one at a time. I mean, the first thing is that thing we talked about before, which is leadership mentality, right? Because Leadership, having an open mind to new ways of doing things is difficult. And Gracie, one of the things we talk about a lot is it's really hard when we approach educator wellness, we center staff voice and an equitable version of staff voice. And when we're hearing equitably from staff, leaders aren't always going to get the messages they want, right? Sometimes the messages are uncomfortable and about shifts that they need to make and could be about their own leadership styles too. And so so presenting that information to leadership in an empathetic way for them to be able to listen to it and make changes to And one of the roadblocks is just, can leaders see that actually the vision for where they want to go is a little bit different than the way staff perceive things is going now, and they need to make some shifts. And that, that's a tough thing for uh, any person to absorb, but not just for a leader personally, but also for them to guide their team through. Uh, so I think leadership mentality and openness is one in terms of school-based. At the system level, I think this dynamic that I talked about, that somehow what's good for teachers is not good for students or vice versa, is, is really one of the largest roadblocks that exists because we have to be able to shift that mentality um, and for people to be able to see those win-wins. And the truth is, Behind that mentality are organizations, lobbyists, groups with tons of funding that want to preserve the way we currently do things in education, which is often very punitive, uh, accountability-driven rather than growth-driven, and the systems in place that not only are just the way we're doing things because they're the way we've been doing things, they're, to be honest, the way we've been doing things because there are people who make a lot of money from doing things the way we've been doing them, including the way we test children, the way we evaluate adults. So there are a lot of entrenched interests that want to protect us having a very accountability and punitive kind of mind mindset towards students and adults. And to liberate us from that truly requires taking on a system and not and not just one fight at a time, but really shifting mindsets and creating a movement to do that. So, yeah, I'm curious, Ben and Allison, if you have anything to add about just like the obstacles that you've seen, either obstacles at your school or those systemic ones you've seen through advocacy. I think time is always going to be an obstacle. And I think of just like being able to organize ourselves and in, in our time and like really kind of like pick and choose what we want to advocate for, I think is, is a big correction of, of the time issue, but that's, that's pretty much what I've seen as far as, is any roadblocks for me. Yeah, I would agree with all that. And I think in terms of like the, the time that it takes to organize, like there are a lot of things, particularly in DC that are affected by our system of education governance and parents or teachers might be passionate about making sure students have great books at a young age, or they might be passionate about making sure they have rich uh, summer options for, you know, learning and for summer camps or after school programs or quality teachers, but they don't necessarily see how all of these issues are connected by a system that has an 
doesn't really value everyone's input equally and doesn't have sufficient checks and balances to be able to make sure that people can help work towards a system of school improvement. So I think some of the roadblocks for me at the system level are, you know, are really, there's always allies. So I'm I'm definitely hopeful because there are, there are a lot of people throughout the city who know that our education system needs to change. I think part of the roadblock there is trying to help people under get on the same page around why and how it can change. Um, and that's where organizations and nonprofits like uh, the the WTU and, and Empower Ed are so crucial in that work. And then to Scott's point about like just mindset shifts, I think that I've heard dozens of times from teachers in the school building as we've returned and as we continue to persist through COVID that what was happening pre-pandemic wasn't working, but we're like going right back to it. And, and we're just trying the same things over and over. And I think we need to kind of have that willingness and that vulnerability to try things new and to reevaluate like what is actually essential and, and what it and what is just kind of like a nice to have or could be good, but like really kind of declutter the things that get in the way of learning and and how we like take some of the bureaucracy out of schools and out of out of teaching. So that's one thing that I think uh, we need bold leaders as principals and um, at the district level and at all levels of schools to be able to make that type of change happen. Yeah, totally. And one of the hard things is that like to do things differently. I know people have been using in the this kind of quote unquote post pandemic period, right? Like talking about restoration, right? And in recovery. And I feel like that does get back to this idea that we're trying to restore to the way things were, even though those things weren't working. But if we want people to be well, both the people in the schools, the school leaders, and including our system leaders, people need to feel kind of psychological safety and discomfort at the same time, which is kind of a difficult thing, right? Like people need to personally feel some psychological safety and then they also need to be willing to exist in some discomfort about change, which in change can be uncomfortable, right? So trying to do those two things at the same time is hard. And one of the ways that we try to make people comfortable with that is kind of surrounding them with the voices of people who have done it, right, uh, successfully and have some confidence that th- this is a journey that's worth it and positive comes out the other end. And then to hear from people really directly in a much more equitable way. And you guys both mentioned kind of the staff voice and uh, a more equitable staff voice. But it is not easy to kind of bridge into this work. And a lot of what I do every day is kind of that convincing of folks who are not in the advocacy world and they're just teaching their class, but they have an opinion about something to feel confident that they can dip their toes in the water of the advocacy space and that they don't have to be the people who spend, you know, an extra 10 hours a week doing this, that they can spend 30 minutes extra a week um, or 20 minutes a week or take one little action for five minutes and that that makes a meaningful difference. So I want to ask both of you, and I'll start with Allison, as someone who just became a fellow with Empower Ed this year and is starting into the advocacy space in this way, uh, having done so much work at the school level, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in doing more advocacy but feels overwhelmed about starting? I think, like, to your point, just starting small, like advocating in, in small ways and kind of organizing yourself so that you don't get overwhelmed along the way. Like I know, like for me, I, I've always been an advocate in my classroom. I've been an advocate in schools, but 
to, to kind of branch out has been, it's, it's scary and I'm very nervous, um, <laughs> doing this. I'm very nervous, but, um, just, yes, I think my advice would be just start small, do little things, um, you know, make your voice heard, always write things down first <laughs> before you say them. And yeah, just start small. If that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you, what do you think, Ben? I like that. I I think for me, yeah, just, I was thinking along similar lines of just getting started and and not letting perfect kind of be in the enemy, the good, you know, it it Mm -hmm. can be what I think making advocacy feel accessible is part of the challenge. You know, it doesn't like you were saying, Scott, and just paying paying attention to this podcast or or listening to an NPR article or having a conversation with someone when you're picking up your kids. You know, those are our you know, communication of ideas and building community, right? Which help mm-hmm. lead to advocacy. I mean, the, the reality is that not everyone's going to testify at the State Board of Education or the council. But I think knowing that you can submit ris- written testimony to either, right? Or that, you know, you can know that that exists and communicate that with a friend or a neighbor or another parent like is really helpful for people to really feel the agency that these are our schools and that and that we can make a difference and so i think promoting that feeling of agency and and knowing that by just getting started people can do their part and feel more empowered it helps them kind of move from the the anxious frustrated angry emotions to feeling proud of themselves that they're they're making a difference uh, yeah, I love that. Percent, Ben. That I, I just want to really uplift advocacy as a wellness practice too. That I, I, I see people that I feel like they're like, I don't, I need more time for myself, and I understand that so much in the world that we live in today, where we are, there's not enough time for ourselves. But being able to join together, as you said, Ben, being community and really push forward on the issues and speak for people who can't really be there. That I've just seen that in myself and in other people. That that form of leadership, like it gives us something for. our personal wellness that I think is like really hard to find in other places. And it does take some energy, but I think it's one of those things where you put energy into it and then it like gives you so much energy back too. Absolutely. And this is one of the things that like, I feel like we've we've heard so much from people involved in Empowered over the years and which is like, I hope Ben and Allison, you felt this to some degree, like people arrive exhausted. Our meetings are usually after school. And so people are like, it's the end of the day and they're running from school and they're trying to wrap things up. And then they come to the meeting and people arrive exhausted, tired with a long list of things on their to-do list and stressed and trying to balance all the things about their life. And I have had so many teachers tell me over the years that they leave much more energized than they come in because they just like feel this sense of purpose. They feel a mission. They feel like they're doing something. And that that whole checklist that was in on their mind when the meeting started, they're like, actually, what we just did for the past couple of hours, like that, that is really doing something long term about helping me not feel so stressed to begin with if we can make these changes. Allison? Yeah, is I I'd like to share a personal story from last year. Like that's I I attended one fellows meeting last um I believe it was last spring. And I um I kind of just sat in and and very interested and I was kind of confused. I'm like, okay. Um just because we had worked with Scott and Gracie at our at the school level and I'd worked with them, but this was like the first like fellows meeting that I attended. 
And I remember, Scott, you giving me a a poster and you're like, hey, can you go put this up in the neighborhood? And at first I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was all excited. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something. And then I sat in my car for like a day and then I was like, okay, I got to tape it. I got to get some tape and I got to tape this up. I know where I have to put it. And it was just like, it was one of those things where I'm like, like okay, do I do this? I have, I, I know I have to do this. And then, um, and then I'm like, okay, the tape isn't working. So I remember like taking it home again. And I was, you know, talking to my husband about it at home and I was like, I know where I have to put it. And I know that this is a small step, but it was like one of those things where it was like, I was nervous and then, but it felt so good. And he's like, here, take the staple gun. And I went and I stapled it up and I was like, I felt so accomplished. And it was like the, the tiniest thing, but I did feel like, I'm like, okay, this made a difference. This made an impact. And I know that even some of those signs, I don't know if it was the same group of signs, but I saw them in other places in the city and I was like, oh, there's one of our signs. So it was just, it was kind of a cool thing where I felt very nervous at first, but I'm like, okay, this is, I like this. I like being able to to have this impact, even though it's really small. That's such a good example and a good example to end on because it speaks to a couple things, right? One is like being part of that collective, like then you see these signs around the neighborhood and around the city and you're like, I am part of something bigger, but also just that like taking a small step towards a bigger thing is very much part of our individual wellness. Like we prove to ourselves that we can get up five minutes earlier and that can make a difference for us. Or we prove to ourselves that we can um, write a letter to an elected official and that little, or put up a poster and those little things build on each other and in both our advocacy and our wellness, those little things uh, really snowball and build into something bigger. Thank you so much. Uh, ben, did you want to say one more thing? No, I just said a hundred percent. I just agreed. I, I thought that was a great note to end on. Great. We appreciate you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Allison. And we appreciate what your time here, but we also appreciate the time that you spend working to change the system, advocating and helping other people to do that as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm going to go run to coach. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks everyone to listening. And I hope you felt that wellness energy around like what you can do. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another educator wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at weareempowered. That just looks like weareempowered.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and TikTok with the same handle as empowereddc or visit us at weareempowered.org. Thanks again. We are all part of this educator wellness revolution, and we really appreciate your time and energy.